and you open the door to a dark closet, what invades what? Does the darkness invade the light and come in and destroy that room with light, with darkness? Or does the light invade the darkness? Which what? Which happens? Light is active and powerful. Darkness is re regressive and on the defensive. We're going to see that again today. Light is on the defensive. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness doesn't have a positive identity. Darkness has an inferiority complex, frankly. It's on the retreat, and it knows it's on the retreat. And so if you are in the light, you win every time. You win. Light always wins. The darkness cannot overcome the light. Thank you for that amen. amen I started preaching, and we haven't even started the sermon yet. Okay, kids. You are children of the light. Have a good time up there. You can, you can head on upstairs. Adults, you stay right where you are. And open your Bibles. We've got lots of them up here if you don't have one. You've got to have a Bible because we're going to go right through the book. Right through the book. Here's, here's some. Acts 16. This is so exciting for me because we're telling the story of Lydia House by looking at the Bible. Uh, I tried to write it big. You need to be able to see this. I, uh, Chris, here's the outline here. It'd be easier if you moved uh, so you can, you can see the outline. Can you all see it? Can you read that from back there, Jason? Did I read right? Okay. So Acts chapter 16, we're just going to work our way through it. And the story is how, how a nice home became a great church. That's the story, starting with verse 6. Paul and his companions, who were his companions? This one is Silas. Timothy meets up with them. Luke maybe at some point. Throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. How did the Holy Spirit keep him from doing it? Well, we, don't, we are not told exactly, but the Holy Spirit who nudges us can also offer resistance, can't he? he? So you can feel it. You know it. You know that I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to go here. I'm supposed to go here. <coughs> so the Holy Spirit was guiding them, both positively and negatively, from preaching the word in Asia, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. That would have taken them east. They tried to go that way, and somehow the Spirit let them know. That's not the way you're supposed to go. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Isn't that precious? So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So now Troas, they're on the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea, and if they're looking west, they're looking at Europe. I get goosebumps just saying that. Because how strategic can you get? God is about to open up the gospel to Europe through a vision he gives to Paul in Troas at night. During the night, 
Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. I'll tell you, you don't need the gift of interpretation to know what that one's about. <laughs> he made it pretty obvious. So the, the combination of the resistance going east and the vision to go west, it was clear. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. That's over in this ter territory of where uh, Chris was, that uh, upper portion of Greece, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let me say something about guidance. Guidance is much more a matter of God's ability to lead than your ability to follow. And if you put the focus on your ability to follow, you're going to be worried about it. You ever get worried about the guidance of the Lord? You're playing God when you do. I am playing God. Whenever I worry, because I'm saying, I'm not sure you're able to do it. God's been doing it for centuries, for millennia. He knows how to lead. He knows how to get you there. He does it accurately. He does it so that without any problem, you can take the next step. He will not give you the full picture. And sometimes you stay planted until you get the first picture. You're going to stay planted for a long time. Because he will probably not give you. Like I say to young adults, if you're point A, ask point B questions. Don't ask point E questions. Ask point E questions if you're point D. But where you are, ask for the next step. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. The Lord is the lamp unto my, and a light unto my, okay. Can you get there? Can God get you there? Does he know how to do it? You're sure? Promise me you'll never worry again about guidance of the Lord. You'll promise me you'll never take that on your shoulders again. Try your best. Because, frankly, it's an insult, isn't it? Isn't it an insult to a God who knows? He did it perfectly for Paul. He wouldn't let him. Paul had east on his mind. God had west. Who won? God can get you there, brother, sister. He knows how to do it, and he proved it here. So they're, they're going west from Troas. We put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day on Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and a leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there how long? Several days. So when he leaves, he has only been there several days, and he plants a church that is a blessing to him for his whole ministry, that was a partner in the gospel with him, and that we're reading about 2,000 years later. On the Sabbath, say on the Sabbath. What's Paul's strategy when he does ministry? When he goes into a place, he connects with whom first? Romans 1, 16. Huh? To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. So he's on the Sabbath, and he figures, well, this is a big city. This is an important city. This is a Roman city. They're very proud of their, uh, of their connection to Rome. 
They're a Roman colony. They've got retired soldiers who are settling here. They like who they are in Philippi. And he knows there are some Jews there, so he figures there's probably a, a synagogue service, and that's where he always starts. Does he find one? That was a question. He finds a prayer meeting. He doesn't find a synagogue service. So that suggests in order to have a synagogue service, sorry ladies, you need 10 men. That, that's, that was the rule they went by. And uh, here are, here are uh, but ladies, you're going you're gonna to come off looking good here, so uh, take your time. So it's women that started Lydia House. It's women. They, they're the ones that's, that got the start of this thing. On the Sabbath, he went outside the city, down by the riverside, boom, boom, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So here is Paul, this international person, this man who is really intelligent, really gifted, and he begins to converse. That must have been interesting for those women. One was a, an entrepreneurial type. Her name was Lydia. She was from Thyatira across the Aegean Sea. What's she doing over there? Well, she's pro probably in her, in her business. Was, she was a seller of purple, probably meaning purple cloth, purple dye, and uh, well enough to have a home. She has a family. It appears that she may be a single mom uh, with no mention of her husband. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, which in, in, it's in Turkey uh, across the Aegean Sea, who was a worshiper of God. That gives us a clue. She's a proselyte, semi-proselyte, so she's a Gentile, but she's believing in the God of Israel. She hasn't yet encountered Jesus. But she is going to, because <laughs> Paul is there. Th listen to this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. I love the way it says that. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Boy. Okay, Paul didn't sing that song. Not a bad song. Paul just didn't sing it. Why? That, well, it hadn't been written. <laughs> Good answer. The other reason is, is that when he speaks about how he comes to the faith, it wasn't his, him, Paul deciding. He says in Galatians 1, when he who had called me before I was born and was pleased to impart his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. It was God, all God. It was God that did it. It wasn't that he was clever enough to make a decision. That's not a bad song. But Paul, the Bible puts the emphasis in this God-human dialogue that brings about salvation, not with me and what I did, but God and who he is and what he does. 
So here, God opens the heart of this Gentile God worshiper to the message of Jesus Christ. She senses, doesn't say that the other woman, women came along, maybe they did, but uh, she senses, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's it, an oikos, the household, can include more than your kids. It can be your relatives. It can be your grandparents. And it can be a lot. So it, it, it could be much more than the kiddos. So here she's responding to the message when she and the members of her household were baptized. They didn't wait any at all. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. She is imploring them. I mean, she didn't say, why don't you come on over? She really went after this. So she wanted this. And it appears that this is the beginning of the Philippian house. So, so God is at work in the heart of Lydia to bring her faith in Jesus and her household. We don't know. It, it, it sounds like she must have had a pretty good sized home because she invited Paul and his companions and she implored them. And an oikos could be 30 people, easily could be 30 people. So uh, we don't know. So, once when we were going to the place of prayer, so Paul was there for several days, so now he's on his way again. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. <coughs> this is interesting in the Greek. It says the spirit of Python, and it uses a word that's used nowhere in the New Testament except here, which translates by which she predicted the future. It, it's a word used when someone speaks without opening their mouth. So it's either ventriloquism that this girl has, or that when they hear, they're hearing possibly the voice of a man, which would get your attention, wouldn't it? If you're a girl and someone's speaking a message and it's a deep voice of a man, you'll probably listen. Is, uh, are demonic powers, are they omniscient? Are they omnipotent? Are they omnipresent? No, none of the above. But they know more than you and I know because they're supernatural beings. So they can predict and they can be right a fair amount of the time and so here is a clear example of trafficking isn't it that's not new where someone can get money by owning someone else doesn't matter if you're going to abuse or misuse them they own that girl they said and it brought them wealth and so they were using it. And so Paul touched their pocketbook. He, finally, he was annoyed. He was, he was letting her go on. 
Now, she, was she speaking? This is a tough question. Don't answer it quickly. It's a tricky question. Was she speaking the truth when she said what she said? These men are servants of the Most High God. I'm going to give you the answer. Who are telling you the way to be saved. Do you know that Jesus always muffled demons who were speaking facts? Truth is always moral. Truth that is not moral is dangerous. It's like the Pharisees who were not living the life but speaking the life. Because they were so close to the truth, they were dangerous. But they weren't living the truth. And so Jesus does not want people who are living a lie speaking something by, by which they're trying to speak the truth because it's dangerous. And so he would shut them down. Demons often manifest in the presence of light because they get nervous. And so do you remember times when demons would cry out in the presence of Jesus? They couldn't stand it. They couldn't help themselves. Are you going to kill us before the time? They knew they were, they were dead meat before Jesus because light always overpowers the darkness. So they, they figure, uh-oh, we're done for. Jesus would not allow demons even to speak because it isn't truth, it's fact. To know and not to do is not to know. And we cannot call that something that we would honor. We don't honor what those demons said. So... These men are servants. So, so she said it not willfully. She, the demons were saying it in, in uh, kind of on the run. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled, he turned around and said to the spirit, not to the girl. He said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Here is light attacking the darkness. Darkness is on the run. Darkness is, is negative. Darkness is inferior. Darkness cannot stand the light. I once got a call from a couple. We do ministry with the Japanese. And, and they had a home and uh, they had a room that they were offering to someone who was, I believe, a Muslim. I think they said a, a Muslim had applied. And, Mom was concerned, and Dad was saying, well, I think we ought to do it. And she called and asked me. And my response was, it's not a fair fight. What do you mean? I said, light always wins. You can have that person come, because you are living in the light. And, and as long as your, your children are in the light, and you're in the light, you're, you know, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. So... Paul commanded, and now, now the battle is engaging. Now the enemy is going to react. The enemy cannot act. It can only react. And now it's going to react, and there's going to be a fight. And we're going to see the fight taking place because God is planning a church here, and there's going to be resistance from the enemy because this is going to be a significant church. It's the Philippian church. And there's going to be a fight. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews 
are throwing our city into uproar by abdicating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Was that true? I heard a yep and a nope. So we'll let you decide. The crowd joined in the attack. This was not typical for this Roman colony. They got thrown off balance. This isn't the way they did business. And something happened. Crowd control took over. Joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Where, where was the trial here? After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell. Were there lights on in the inner cell? There were not. And fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas are wondering, did we make the wrong decision? Did we go in the wrong direction? Why all this suffering? What, what's going on here? Did they? Not even close. Listen, if there's going to be a fight, there may be some suffering. We just need to acknowledge it. Peter had an allergic reaction to the idea of suffering. Remember when he first heard about it? When Jesus spoke about suffering and going to the cross? Peter said pretty strongly, this will never happen to you. Right or wrong? Oh, he did. He did. And himself. And himself. Not now. <laughs> no. Once Peter got it, he got it. And in every chapter of 1 Peter, he talks about suffering for righteousness sake. Paul understood that God uses suffering. In fact, when God spoke to Ananias, to go talk to Saul. He was scared. And the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my word before kings and Gentiles and the people of Israel. And I will tell him how much he will suffer for my name. Suffering doesn't prove you're on the wrong track. Suffering may indicate that there's a battle going on between light and darkness. And if you hang in there, you're going to see a great victory. Paul understood that. And so about midnight, he leans over to Silas and said, you know that chorus, hallelujah. <laughs> and so they're singing. And this gets funny because they were singing to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. <laughs> what else do you do at midnight? You can't sleep. You've been beaten up. 
they're listening to this. And that's important because something's going to happen that is very out of the ordinary, not just an earthquake, but we keep reading. Suddenly, I love the suddenlies of the Bible. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of angels. Whoa! One was hard enough, but now the sky is full of them. And when one angel showed up, it scared the daylights out of you. Now the whole sky is full of them. Suddenly, okay, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. When do you remember earthquakes in the Bible? Crucifixion. When, yeah, when God, when God came down on Mount Sinai, it shook. The whole mountain shook. The resurrection, there was an earthquake. So God doesn't do it all the time, but he does it on special occasions. This is a special occasion. He shakes the place. Look what happens. The foundation of the prison, it probably wasn't felt in Tahiti. This is probably a local earthquake. At once, all the prison doors flew open. and Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, would he, be, would he have been slain? Remember what happened when Peter escaped? When the chains fell off and he walked free? They were killed because they must have let it happen. So he, he understood. He thought the prisoners had escaped. This is funny. These guys are set free. Apparently, they thought that... The, what was going on in the inside was more interesting show than what was going on in the outside. And they stayed right there. They did not move. Paul, Paul apparently was able to convince them, stay put. You'll, get, you'll be free, but I want you to stay here for a while. Would you have been convinced? Maybe having heard Paul and then experienced this earthquake, something's going on here that's more than natural. It must be God. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, if that opened up, wouldn't you just presume to think God's given us a jailbreak and take off? See, we need to listen to the Lord at every point. God, am I supposed to run? Not now. Stay put. We, because if we don't, we'll be presumptuous and we'll say, well, I learned last time that I'm supposed to do it this way. You can't learn from last time. Each moment we have to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. We just said that. We just acknowledged that it's all for Jesus. So, so we're listening. We're not going to move uh, except with the impulse of his voice and his heart. We are all here. The jailer called for lights. Okay. I don't know how they did that. But now, because it was dark, couldn't see them, but they could hear the music. rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Remember, he's only here for a few days. He then brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? He asked that question because Paul was willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. And it brought conviction on this jailer who asked a really good question. They replied, they replied, <laughs> now they're both going to get in here. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. We already got a household. 
We had Lydia's house. They all came in. And now we're getting the convergence of two householders, two houses coming together to establish this wonderful church. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his, in his what? In his house. At that hour of the night, hey, it's one o'clock, two o'clock. Pardon? <laughs> Well, it was pretty rocky there. I mean, it, it, this place was rock and rolling. <laughs> Took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. Another baptism. Didn't take long for God to move. We trust God. God can do it. God set the, God's in charge of this whole operation. God just doing this wonderful thing, and people are not clueless saying, well, did I miss him? What's going on here? I, I feel uncomfortable. I feel I, 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 my back is hurting because I got beat up, so I must have missed the Lord. No, Paul, you're right on target. You know you are. Something powerful is going to happen. In times of suffering, we simply upgrade our confidence in God's sovereignty, that he truly is in control. He hasn't lost his position on the throne. He's still doing it. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the order, release those men. I like this. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Paul said to the officers, you think so? Not a chance. They beat us publicly without a trial even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they want us to get up quietly. <laughs> no, let them come themselves and escort us out. <laughs> there are times when Paul makes use of his Roman citizenship. Not every time, but he does several times. Here he uses it. Too bad he didn't, didn't well, maybe, he didn't maybe the Lord kept him from crying out before the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then left. Isn't that a great story? And that's a great story. Praise the Lord. Uh, I was going to ask earlier on if it was yesterday, but let's say it says uh, for us all to take the things of honor for them. I mean, this is, I mean, this is the thing. Uh, all, all of those words in chapter 18, some of them, I think that would be good. Yeah. Not yet. No, you aren't. Just stay seated here. Omni means all omniscient you know all omnipotent you have all power omnipresent you're present everywhere only God see there are qualities that we can share in we can share in the moral qualities of God qualities of love and mercy and truth but we do not share no one shares in the the, the uh, physical existential qualities of divinity God alone the only 
all-powerful God. May I add to it, just think it, I just said to my kids the other day, we all need to be constantly reminded we can turn a light in darkness, but it is not Satan and God. That's it right. is God. You know, Father, Son, Spirit. Satan found him as fallen angels. So, you know, they again keep saying to him, yes, Satan's powerful, but Satan is never, ever, and we're giving our kids that it's like that's a that's good to remember. Satan is a convenient tool of God, used by God in this season for His purposes, and at the end of the time will dismiss him. And he knows it. He knows that his time is short. So that's a good distinction. Yeah. We absolutely do. Let's do that right now, in fact. Let's turn our heart in, in prayer. And just now we'll, we'll personalize this, and then we'll break up in small groups for a moment. I'm just going to take you through the passage in prayer now and invite you to acknowledge where you have not been confident in God's ability to lead and that in your heart you would tell him that you do trust him to guide you accurately and because he guides you accurately that you will obey him immediately and uh, he knows your heart. Just tell him your desires. You are a good God. You know how to lead. And as we sang in the hymn, we will follow. We will follow your guidance. We rejoice in this story because it's kind of like our story that you're writing here. So we're, we're at Lydia House. and You've formed together a, a people who share, who are partners in the gospel. And 
because of who we are and what we're called to, we expect opposition. If we don't get it, we're not doing everything right. We expect a kickback. We expect the enemy to, to go after. We do. You are. Yes. 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 pray for what people are going through, Father. We pray that you would give them confidence in your sovereign working in the midst of hardship. We pray against any temptation to throw into the towel or to, to doubt you. We pray for an upgrade in our trust in you in any seasons where we are experiencing hardship. You are able, you are the able one. You are able to perform all things well. We want to uh, seal this now by, by the Lord's Supper, by uh, having communion together. So just take a moment now. The Bible says, let a man examine himself. And so uh, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So just take a moment. It's not time to beat ourselves up, but it is a time to examine ourselves and to acknowledge if there are areas where we are not walking in the light. So we remember how our Lord Jesus Christ in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Just do in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant the new contract, the new way of dealing with God. 
in my blood, shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Confident, O Lord God, of your presence with us and confident of the work of our Lord Jesus, we are bold to say, as Jesus taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Take and eat the body of Christ given for you. Take and drink the blood of Christ shed for you. Now the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and his precious blood strengthen you and keep you steadfast to life everlasting. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor. I can't think of anything more wonderful. May the Lord look upon you with his favor. Not with condemnation. Not with anger on his face. Not with a scowl. Not as if to say, when are you going to get together? But with his favor. And what does that give you? Peace. And give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, brothers and sisters.